This is Pressed, a podcast about democracy and the media. I'm your host, Mary Quintus. We've been following Bonnie, a liberal, and Dave, a conservative, friends and neighbors who want to discuss politics but worry that doing so will damage their friendship. So I had them do an experiment. Bonnie and Dave went on a kind of balanced news diet where they spent a week consuming media from across the political spectrum. I wanted to see if this would help them gain some insight into other perspectives and if that insight would make it any easier for them to talk to each other. So at the end of the week, I sat down with them to find out what would happen when, for the first time in the 18 years they've known each other, they had a conversation about political and social issues. To start things off, I wanted to know if they personally gained or learned anything from trying out a balanced news diet. So yes, I brought in my own perspectives and I caught myself in my biases, to which I would have confessed before, but I still surprised myself. Bonnie said she caught herself in her biases when she came across things she actually liked from right-leaning outlets. I have to confess that I expected the um, right-leaning sources to be less respectable than the centrist and left-leaning sources that I'm accustomed to, because I said, oh, I'm reading a very right-wing source, and I'm actually, and it's actually a good article, and I'm impressed. So I, I didn't expect to be impressed. Same on me. For example, Bonnie was impressed by an article in the right-leaning Washington Times about how, despite the rhetoric of the Trump administration, the U.S. military is preparing for effects of climate change. They keep on doing the work that they're doing because it has to do with whether their bases get flooded or their missions get compromised because of climate change effects. And so I thought, well, that's great. You know, here's a here's a source that I would not have expected to do this who's saying, you know, there are such things as facts on the ground. And when your facts on the ground are that you're in water up to your knees, you got to pay attention. Bonnie also reflected on her biases when she came across media from the right that she didn't like. In some of the reporting from right-leaning outlets, Bonnie noticed... Values being smuggled into facts. Not that that doesn't happen on the left, it does as well. I mean, in the way left things, I see them and I just, I discount them because I don't pay attention to them. And maybe if I'm reading something or listening to something that's much more on the way right, I see them and I think, oh my God, how can they be saying things like that? Instead of dismissing them in the same fashion, I don't, I, I could be just having a, a different reaction because it's unfamiliar. So I asked Dave if the balanced news diet led him to reflect on his biases. And his answer was, not really. Dave didn't like any of the left-leaning media he saw, but he doesn't think that's because of any bias on his part. See, Dave considers himself to be very analytical. And if you say something, I'm going to look at everything you said. I'm not going to look at the beginning or the end or the bottom. I'm going to look at what you said, and I'll analyze that. And he says he used this analytical approach to determine that... They were leaving out... They, meaning left-leaning news outlets... A big piece of what the discussion should be. And that would irritate me. Now, whether that's saying that I have a bias and that I don't want to listen to that side of it, or that I'm being analytical and saying, you know, I can understand what you're saying, but you're forgetting about this. And, you know, you put this in the picture and it changes. So I would find myself analyzing what the left was saying and not trying to make my side right, but trying to figure out what was missing that bothered me about the argument. For example, here's how Dave described a segment about Trump's decision to impose tariffs on foreign imports. They said, you know, Trump's going to screw up the whole world and, you know, this is going to happen. And it was all negative. And I guess maybe that's one of the things that bothered me about 
most of the MSNBC and some of the other stuff is that it was all negative Trump. It wasn't positive information of any kind. So this is when Dave and Bonnie officially started discussing politics, because Bonnie came across some coverage on the same topic. If you listened to the previous episode with Bonnie and Dave, you might remember her talking about a segment on Fox News where the commentators were critical of the trade tariffs. So she told Dave... I noticed that a lot of people of both political parties seem to be quite agitated about the tariffs. And I guess there are a lot of both Republicans and Democrats who are free trade advocates and who really are dismayed about the tariff thing. And I think that Trump is getting some pushback from his own party. Trump has definitely received pushback from the GOP, including an official statement of opposition from House Speaker Paul Ryan. Trump imposed the tariffs in an effort to reduce trade imbalances with foreign countries. But the overwhelming majority of economists, and as Bonnie mentioned, people from both sides of the aisle, opposed this tactic for a number of reasons. And Bonnie brought up a couple of these reasons in the conversation with Dave, American job loss and retaliatory tariffs. I just have a general feeling of alarm that I hope it doesn't backfire in ways that hurt American jobs or the tit-for-tat, you know, coming from other countries. It seems like several different people had the feeling that the place to hit back is in agriculture. So this conversation happened back in June 2018. Since then, several companies have cited the tariffs, which increased costs of materials, as the reason they've had to cut labor costs by laying off employees. And experts warned that other countries would likely retaliate with taxes on U.S. exports, likely targeting our agricultural industry. And this prediction turned out to be accurate. But at the time of this conversation, Dave predicted that the opposite would happen, that Trump was employing a negotiating tactic that would prompt other countries to lower their taxes on things they import from us. His approach may be a little drastic and scary, but that's his style. His style, the art of the deal. Throw it out there as bad as it could be and negotiate down to a place where you can live. And that's probably what he's doing, although he's not saying it. Nor are his mouthpieces saying it. Mm -hmm. He just throws it out there. But it's not always an easy thing for everybody to deal with. You kind of got to have faith, and there isn't a lot of faith. So I was struck by Dave's comment about faith. He said earlier that he thought the left-leaning media consistently left out a big piece of what the discussion should be. And that he would try to figure out what was missing that bothered me about the argument. In the case of the tariffs coverage, it seems like what Dave felt was missing was an expression of faith in the president. Because despite opposition from economists, people from across the political spectrum, and according to Bonnie, even Dave's go-to news outlet Fox News, Dave ultimately believed he kind of got a have faith in Trump. And as we already know, Bonnie does not have faith in Trump. So let's hear where their conversation went after Dave said this. You kind of got to have faith, and there isn't a lot of faith. You know, people get scared. So um, He scares me. As far as I know, this is the first time Bonnie and Dave have discussed their personal feelings about the president. I freak out when he does these sort of, you know, make these <laughs> wild sort of unilateral... Mm -hmm. statements or declarations or, you know, states it or tweets it. Okay, well, this is is happening. And sometimes his own staffers are caught by surprise. You Mm -hmm. see plenty of that around, too, and they're going like, oh, it is? Well, we didn't know that. And it seems very chaotic to me. You know, I 
I get scared by that. I look at it from the other side of the whole picture. Government is so dysfunctional. They won't do anything. And that's why Trump is scary, because nobody ever gets anything done. He's out there trying to get things done, and the only way he feels he can do it is shock everybody. Is push people. Just you got to push him. So far, Dave and Bonnie are doing exactly what they set out to do. They're having a conversation about politics, about Trump even, that's not devolving into a heated argument. And I find that pretty remarkable, given how differently and how strongly each of them feels. But when the conversation turned to an even more sensitive subject, I got a little worried. See, Dave said he saw some commentators on MSNBC call Trump racist. I wasn't able to find this segment, so I can't verify it or provide any context. But when Dave was talking about this, he said something I found pretty interesting. Trump was a racist. That was their conclusion. I mean, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I don't know about you, but personally, it matters to me whether or not the president of the United States is racist. To me, it's not a maybe he is, maybe he isn't kind of thing. So I asked Dave what he thinks. I don't think so. I think he's done more for blacks than Obama did. How so? Well, by making the economy better and by putting more people to work, there's more opportunity for blacks. There's more opportunity for everybody. And that's how he's going to address the problem with blacks and the problem with the minorities. The problem Dave is referring to here is high unemployment rates among black and Hispanic populations. So what he's doing about putting people to work will get those people to work. When somebody says, I can't get a job, it's because I don't want a job. Not because you can't get a job, because there are jobs. When I talked to Bonnie in her initial interview, before she and Dave started the whole balanced news experiment, She told me that one of the reasons she's had difficulty talking to people in the current political climate is that she gets emotional about certain issues. Like racism and discrimination. I guess I get emotional. And it shouldn't happen. We should be able to reason with each other and at least say, this is what I believe and here's why I believe it. So here's how Bonnie responded when the subject of race came up in the conversation with Dave. You asked David if he thought Trump was a racist. And he doesn't. But I do. Is that a difference of opinion on an interpretation of racist? It might be. I haven't seen him do anything in his office, while he's been in office, that particularly degrades anybody. Ooh, I have. (laughs) But I, I don't know what specific instance would particularly bother you, because I may just be grazing over it. Um, I think that Trump's... This was true of Trump and also of his dad. Having a whole pattern where you don't rent to black people and you have all kinds of different reasons for not doing it, but the pattern turns out that you're not renting to black people who qualify to be in your rental situation. Mm-hmm. It may be, maybe it's unconscious racism or an unconscious bias. I happen not to think it's unconscious in his case, but still... It is racist behavior because it's based on a single criterion of race. And that bothers me. And I think, for instance, in the the Nazi, the the white supremacist rally and so forth, and his refusal to condemn that behavior from a group that's notoriously racist, that's what its whole history has been, and they'll say it right out loud, that's condoning a racist position and that's not okay with me. 
So after the rally, Trump spoke out against, quote, hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides, meaning both the white supremacists and the counter-protesters. After his initial comments provoked backlash, he did directly condemn the white supremacists a few days later. But the very next day, Trump doubled down on his original stance, saying that there was blame on both sides. So I have very strong feelings about that. And I do think that he is a racist because I see and I hear statements that suggest that either out of his own awareness or in it, he's making those kinds of choices and decisions based on that sole criterion. So that, to me, defines racism. Well, I could say the same thing about a lot of black commentators and people that they do the same thing. They but speak, I would say they that, speak, they, but I would say that's racist I think, also. I think there's a lot of blacks that are very racist. And I think that's what aggravates the problem. Listening back to this conversation, I really wish I'd asked Dave for some specific examples of black people who he thinks are aggravating race relations in America by being, quote, very racist. But I wanted to let their conversation play out. Trump has hired a lot of blacks and used a lot of blacks in his business. He has a history of not discriminating in his business. So those things, historically, tell me the man's not a racist. So I don't really know what the difference in interpretation is. To me, a racist is someone who blatantly goes out and says that blacks are no good. and uh, it, it takes many forms. You know, and it happens in, in healthcare. I mean, and then this is the meaning of institutional racism. It happens in healthcare if you look back over statistics about who gets which kinds of care. So there's studies that have been done on, I think this particular one was on kidney transplants and who, who gets even recommended for the next steps of evaluating for whether they could even go into a transplant program or not. And there, it's overwhelmingly discriminatory against black patients who have the same exact matched circumstances in their kidney disease as the white patients. They're all Medicare patients, too, so it's not about that. But And these are good-hearted people who don't think they're doing it, the docs. They don't think they're doing that, and they'd be horrified to know that they are. And yet, when you look at the statistics over thousands of patient referrals, that's how it turns out. And so there's a lot of things that are going on unconsciously that are still racist. Uh, Some of the things you just said were very interesting to me that I was not aware of. You never hear that stuff in the conversation. Why is that? You don't hear the conversation about what it is, what the oppression is. They're saying, we're oppressed, we're oppressed, we're oppressed, we're oppressed. I don't see it. Why don't I see it? Because we don't discuss what the facts actually are, because we're not a fact-based country anymore. We're more about opinion. Where's the facts? You gave me 10 facts that I was not aware of. Mm-hmm. The ones about the, how the medical the thing is, is institution, right, yeah. that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, those are facts. Maybe I can't argue with facts. And a lot of the commentary, both sides, don't get to that. It's always innuendo or accusation as opposed to fact. I want to know what the facts are. That's why I go to the TV or the newspaper is to get the facts. I think Dave said a lot of interesting things here. 
They're saying, we're oppressed, we're oppressed, we're oppressed, we're oppressed. I don't see it. Why don't I see it? So from his own life experience and observing the experiences of others, Dave hasn't seen convincing evidence of the oppression of certain populations in this country. So he needs to be presented with data that proves the existence of things like systemic racism. And he says the news media doesn't provide this information. It's always innuendo or accusation as opposed to fact. I want to know what the facts are. That's why I go to the TV or the newspaper, is to get the facts. I think Dave has a valid point here, that at least certain sectors of the news media focus more on opinion and innuendo than facts. But at the same time, if Dave isn't seeing, quote, what the oppression is in the news, maybe that's because the media he consumes doesn't present it. Because those facts Bonnie shared with Dave about institutional racism in healthcare, she knows them because they were reported in the news media she sees. You never hear that stuff in the conversation. Why is that? By the conversation, Dave is referring to the news media. But I'm guessing he doesn't hear about things like systemic racism in his real-life conversations either. Because besides Bonnie and her husband, Dave's friends are people who share his ideology. And those are the people he normally talks about social and political issues with. But now that Dave is talking to someone who doesn't share his political ideology and who has different news consumption habits than he does, he has new information. You gave me 10 facts that I was not aware of. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, those are facts. Maybe I can't argue with facts. The thing is, people argue with facts all the time, or deny them, dismiss them, or explain them away, especially if those facts challenge or contradict their beliefs. But Dave didn't do that here. And I found this to be the most surprising moment of this conversation. Not that Dave did a 180 in his thinking about racial inequality, but he took what Bonnie said at face value, recognized it as evidence of systemic racism, and criticized the lack of similar information in the news media he sees. And given some of Dave's previous comments, that seems to me like a shift in perspective. And I think it's significant that this shift happened in conversation with Bonnie. I can't say for sure, but I don't know that Dave would have been open to this information if it had come from, say, someone on MSNBC. So to wrap things up, I wanted to know if they thought the balanced news diet helped them to have this conversation. Yeah, I do, because I think there were things that I would have been afraid to broach because I had less of an understanding of the sources that David looks at. I think it makes it easier if you know something else about how the other person's perspective works. I think it was good in that in that sense. You know, um, I wouldn't be afraid to broach a subject with you, especially if it was something that was bothering a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I might be interested in getting your fix on it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you both so much. I really appreciate the I time that you... Thing. Can I say okay. one more thing? I wanted to do this with you because we're friends. Yeah, I felt the same way. Yeah, I couldn't, I wouldn't want to do it with somebody that I didn't think I knew already. You know, I knew you well enough to know that no matter what, we'd get through it. Yep. Yeah, because... Because we're friends. So at this point, Dave had to leave, but Bonnie had a few more minutes to talk. So I asked her how she felt about the conversation. Um, we really don't think alike. And um, I didn't realize how much we really don't think alike. So it's pretty amazing that we can have a civil conversation, (laughs) but we do. And I'm still baffled by how differently it's possible to view 
the same things and still get along with somebody as an individual. I guess it's it's possible, and I think it's desirable. I guess that was one of the reasons I wanted to do this. I want to learn more about how possible it actually is or not, and uh, it's possible to disagree radically and still disagree respectfully. And in this day and age, that matters to me because there's precious little of that going on. There's a lot of disrespect based on dissimilar beliefs. So I think we'd all be a lot better off if we could lessen the disrespect. I'd say drop it, except I don't think I'm personally capable of it either because I don't think that I don't think there's a universe in which I could respect Donald Trump. <laughs> so. I called Bonnie recently to ask how things are with her and Dave. She says they're still friends, but they haven't talked about politics since this conversation. But Dave recently emailed her a video of a conservative speaker who he said he found inspiring. And Bonnie had a different reaction to the video. So they're planning to sit down and watch it again together and talk about it. And personally, I'm happy to hear that they're keeping this conversation going, because I agree with this. What we should be doing is thinking about how to create a constructive discourse so that we feel free to challenge one another, for instance. It's about spending less of your energy hating other people and more of your energy trying to think of constructive solutions. That's Dr. Stephen Sloman. He studies collective cognition, how we think as a community. And we'll be hearing more from him in the next episode of Pressed. Pressed is produced by me, Mary Quintus, the Rhode Island Council for the Humanities, and the Public's Radio. This podcast is part of the Democracy and the Informed Citizen Initiative. Administered by the Federation of State Humanities Councils, the initiative seeks to deepen the public's knowledge and appreciation of the vital connections between democracy, the humanities, and journalism. Thanks to the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation for their generous support of this initiative and the Pulitzer Prizes for their partnership.